Brothers and sisters, I want to say thank you for your warm welcome. My wife, Rachel, and I are three daughters, Naomi, Joanna, and Elizabeth. We feel very welcomed. We know we're among the people of God, and so it's a wonderful privilege to be able to open up God's Word and look at what the Lord has to say to us today. So please turn your Bibles to John chapter 13. We'll be in verses 34 to verse 35. John 13, verse 34 to 35 is where we're going to camp out. Divided, distance, discord. These are some of the words that we could use right now to describe this cultural moment. Now, as much as ever, it seems like there's numerous reasons for people to be divided, for people not to get along. And it shouldn't surprise us that our fallen world fits into that category. It shouldn't surprise us that non-believers are finding it hard, as much as ever, to get along. Different things that arise, and numerous reasons that arise that have made it a challenge. Differences on health mandates, political stances, varying positions on climate activism, and new racial tensions. It's not a surprise. For the non-believing world, the ties that keep them together are often superficial, if not misguided. And yet, what about us? What about we, the people of God, the family of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we to be any different? Our suspicion and scrutiny to be the marks of the church, of this church. According to Jesus, the Lord of the church, his redeemed community is to be radically different from the surrounding culture. According to the head of the church, the people of God are to be a countercultural faction, an embassy of the kingdom of God, a glimpse into what renewed humanity is supposed to look like, what life will look like in the new creation. While hate and malice are all too commonplace out there, love is to be the mark of us, of you, in here. According to the Lord Jesus Christ, out of John 13, 34 to 35, we are to see that love for each other is to identify the people of God. Because you and I, we have devoted ourselves to Christ, it means we have then in turn devoted ourselves to one another. Therefore, we are to love each other. We must love each other. Royal York Baptist Church, you must love each other. This is what the Lord Jesus will show us in John 13, verses 34 to 35. He'll show us the command, the measure, and the outcome of loving each other. So please, again, if you haven't already turned there, John chapter 13 is where we'll be. As we look at verses 34 and 35 in detail, it's valuable to be reminded of the gospel writer's intent in penning these words. I'm sure you know, but if you don't, keep this in mind, that each gospel author gives a portrayal of the life of Jesus with a particular purpose in mind. John's, chap John's purpose for the 21 chapters of this biography of the Lord 
was to show people that through believing in Jesus as the anointed one of God, you could have eternal life. This is what he records in John 20, verses 30 to 31 in the thesis statement of this book. Now, having recorded the miracles and teachings of Jesus, we pick up in chapter 13 in the midst of the upper room discourse in which Jesus gives his final teachings to his dearest followers hours before he will die. So far in chapter 13, Jesus has washed his disciples' feet, including Judas' feet. He's told them that he's known all along that there was a snake in the grass, that among the twelve there was going to be a traitor. Soon after, Judas leaves the table, going off to perpetrate his backstabbing. With the absence of Judas in verses 29 to 30, the rest of this upper room discourse from chapter 13, verse 31, to chapter 16, verse 33, Everything here, Jesus speaks to his friends. He speaks to his followers. He speaks to those for whom he will die. In our immediate context, verses 31 to verse 33, the verses leading up to where we're going to camp out, Jesus explains that now is the time in which he and the Father in heaven will be glorified. It's worth stating that our society and all throughout history, people have misunderstood the crucifixion of Jesus Christ as the greatest tragedy of all time. But that is the farthest thing from reality. The crucifixion of Jesus was not the crucifixion of, a, of an innocent man in a kangaroo, kangaroo court. It was actually the exaltation of the Son of God. It was not the moment of greatest defeat. It was the moment of greatest triumph. For as Jesus died on the cross, he was fulfilling the plan of God to save his people from their sins. This is the reason why Jesus was eagerly looking forward to the moment of his death. It's the reason why after he died on Good Friday, he would rise on Sunday. He would soon ascend back to heaven and become the centerpiece of worship for all of eternity. The cross was not only to be the means of Christ's execution, but of his subsequent glory. With all of this in mind, Jesus tells and he speaks of the glory that will be his, the glory that is to be the Father's, and of his departure in verses 31 to 33. And now with all of that context, all of that truth in your mind, we arrive at verses 34 to 35. And this leads us to our first truth about love for each other. Firstly this, love each other because Jesus says so. Love each other because Jesus says so. Look at what the Lord Jesus says in John 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Jesus begins here and he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Up until this point, he's been describing things in this upper room discourse. He's been speaking about how the people of God are to be servants. He's been speaking about how he knows one of them will betray him. And now he moves from this descriptive conversation to a prescriptive demand. 
You see, whatever Christ is about to say does not come to us as a suggestion or a topic for debate or consideration. Jesus is not presenting here to us opinion or option. He's come with a directive. A directive and a requirement that demands response, action, obedience. You must see here that Jesus speaks as the lawgiver. It is a law of grace, but nonetheless what he says here comes as a demand, as a command. His words come with a divine imperative. They hold a weight, a compulsion in them that makes us required to act in obedience to them. Jesus says, a new commandment, a new commandment I give to you. Brothers and sisters, we must never forget that when we read the pages of Scripture, when we read of Jesus, we need to know that we're reading of the Son of God. We're reading the words of God incarnate, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth. This is Jesus, the same one who said, peace, be still. And the crashing winds and waves became as quiet as the Scarborough Bluffs on a summer afternoon. This is the Lord Jesus who could say to the leprous man, I will be clean. And the man's skin immediately becomes as soft as a baby's bottom. This is the Lord Jesus who says to the dead child, little girl, I say to you, arise. And instantly life returns to her body as though she'd only been napping. This is Jesus, the master and controller of the universe. Therefore, what this means is that when we read of Jesus speaking to us with a command, it means that Jesus has the right to tell you what to do with your life. It means that Jesus has every right to tell you and I how to live our lives. Whether this is the first time you're hearing of Jesus or this is the 1,000th time that you're sitting under Christian preaching, hear this today. Jesus has all authority and he can tell you what to do. And he expects that we listen. This truth is all the more imperative for us who are the people of God. For you, Royal York. Jesus has the right to tell us how to live individually and in community together. We don't make the rules. He does. Therefore, the question I pose to you is, will you listen to him? This morning, will you choose to listen and obey the words of the command giver? Will you choose to obey and heed the words of Christ? I pray that you would feel the warmth as well as the seriousness of what Jesus is commanding of us here in this text. What more joyous command is there to love one another? And yet, what more serious command is there than to love one another? Listen to these warnings and evaluations in John's first epistle. Listen to what it says in 1 John chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. There, John says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. 
For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Here John says, if you want to know if you're a child of God or a child of the devil, know this, children of the devil, do not love the people of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23 says this, and this is his commandment, the commandment of Christ, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandment abides in God and God in him. Evidence of abiding in Christ, of abiding in God, is that you love one another. And then lastly, hear what it says in 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 to 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Love for for one another is a requirement. It's a necessity. Love for your fellow believer or lack thereof says a lot about us, doesn't it? Jesus does not give commands except with the expectation that they be carefully obeyed. Brothers and sisters, I pray that we would be a people found eager in this moment, desirous and zealous to want to obey this command of the Lord to love each other. We've seen so far that these words, love one another, they come as a command towards us. We do it because Jesus says so. Now as we move on, the Lord Jesus will show us the standard and measure of the love that we are to have for one another. This leads us to our second truth about loving each other. Love each other with sacrificial, self-giving love. Love each other with sacrificial and with self-giving love. Again, look at your Bible. John 13, verse 34. Look at your Bible there. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Now you would imagine that by prefacing his words as a new commandment, that Jesus was going to say something that was totally and completely unfamiliar to his disciples. Yet, at first glance, not only is the command to love each other not a new commandment, but it's an old, old one. You see, the first time the command to love each other explicitly appears in the scriptures is on Mount Sinai when God gives the law to Moses and the people of Israel. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, it says, God speaking, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus would go on in the New Testament to show how significant this command truly is when answering the question of a scribe in Mark chapter 12. The question that the scribe poses to the Lord Jesus is, which commandment is the most important of all? Christ's response is very, very telling. He says in verse 29, Jesus answered, 
The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then he says this in verse 31. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the parallel passage to that one in Mark 12, in Mark chapter, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40, Jesus includes this statement in response to the religious teacher. He says, on these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. So here what Jesus says in response to what are the greatest commandments that man must keep before God. He says, to sum up all the commands of how man is to interact with God, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with everything you have. And then Jesus now explains to us that the greatest commandment in relation to how man is to treat each other, if you want a commandment that sums up all of what the Bible would say about how you're supposed to treat your fellow human being, is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus says here. Jesus says that love for one another is the summation and the heart behind how we are to interact with each other. This is the same thing Paul would reiterate in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 10, that love is the fulfilling of the law. I bring all of this to your attention to say that the commandment to love one another doesn't seem to be new. That's not to say that it's not important, but it just doesn't seem to be new at the first look. That is until we notice the rest of verse 34. Look at your Bible. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you. Here is the new part. Here is where the command to love each other takes on a whole new dimension. Jesus says that just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. The command has taken on a new standard. Jesus has just upped the ante. Previously, the standard and measure of love that one person was to give to another was in proportion to how a person loves themselves. Now Jesus has said that the new standard is not to love people the way you love yourself, but to love people the way I have loved you, the way I will love you, says Jesus. This truly is an astonishing statement, isn't it? Jesus has done the same thing here that he did during the Sermon of the Mount, when he intensified the law of God, or better stated, where he showed what the true standard of God's love had always been. If you remember, he said there, you have heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus is now doing the same thing here. Christ's words to Peter, James, John, and the rest essentially is this. Fellas, you have to love each other the way I love you. You have to love each other the way I love you. And the Lord Jesus says the same thing 
to us here today. Your love for each other at Royal York is to be marked with the same love that God has for you. The same love that Jesus has for every one of us here, every one of his people. This then begs the question, how did Christ love us? If our love is supposed to resemble that of Jesus, this question is paramount. How did Christ love us? The answer to this question is astonishing and it's worth our focus. You see, even as Christians, we're so often, so often our understanding of love is more influenced by the corrupt society around us. It's more informed by Drake lyrics and Taylor Swift lyrics and Ed Sheeran lyrics more than it is influenced and found to be biblical. We can begin to think that love is solely a romantic feeling and nothing else. The reality is that we cannot even begin to accurately define what love is without talking about who God is. If you want to know true love, then you need to know the true God. Listen to what it says in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 8. John, writing here in his epistle, says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Because God is love. You see here, God himself is the very definition of love. Love gains its defining characteristics from the person and behavior of the perfect, loving God. In order to truly understand what love is, we must look to God and His love. Therefore, we have to ask ourselves, how did God demonstrate and reveal His love? How did God demonstrate and reveal His love? Listen to the rest of 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 now. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. That means the satisfaction of God's wrath for our sins. This is where we see the love of God on display in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The measure and method of Christ's love for us was to give up his life for our sake. Brothers and sisters, how has Christ loved us? It's the way we've been singing about all morning. It's by dying on the cross for our sins. How has Christ loved us? It's by offering up his life as the penalty, as the sacrificial lamb to cleanse us from all of our iniquities. This is the love of Christ. This is the love of God. It's to give himself for us. This is how Jesus Christ has given himself for us, how he has loved us. By exchanging our penalty, our sin, our death for his life, for his righteousness, for his blessing. He died so that we could live. Jesus has loved us with a sacrificial, self-giving love. 
And therefore, this is how we are to love each other. With the same sacrificial and self-giving kind of love. John would say in 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You see, our love for one another should follow the pattern of the cross. It should be cross-shaped. It should not only consist of strong feelings, emotions, and words, but it must be actionable, tangible, observable. What does this look like? It looks like when you notice someone, a member of the church, even someone, a regular attender of this church who hasn't been present for a number of weeks, love in action means that you pick up the phone and you call them. And you say, hey, I'm going to come visit you. I want to know how you're doing. How's your heart? Where are you at? Are you, are you in a place of bitterness? What's going on? Why haven't we seen you at weekend service? Love in action looks like when you hear about someone's difficulty through the week, you respond with action. You hear of a brother or sister's car has been broken. It's in the shop. Why don't you, as a loving fellow member of this church, say to them, sister, I'd love to take you and help you get some groceries if that would be of help to you. Do you need a ride to, to work this week? Call me. I'm there. I'm there. 8 a.m. We'll carpool together. I love you. I want to serve you. Love in action looks like when you hear of a brother struggling with discontentment because of singleness, it means you say to that person, brother, would you love to just study the book of Philippians together? Why don't we read Philippians 4? And why don't we see where our contentment is to be found? It's to be found in Jesus. Love in action looks like speaking the truth in love. Like the Marine lieutenant who leaps onto a grenade to protect his fellow soldiers from the deadly explosion, so must our love for one another be. The kind of love that says through our everyday actions, I'm prepared to die for you. Now, before we go any further, I want to acknowledge the tension in these words. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. You may be thinking to yourself, to love each other the way Jesus has loved me, that standard feels so impossibly high. I could never die for the sins of someone else. Yes, this is true. And yet, do not excuse yourself from seeking to obey Christ's commands simply because they seem so lofty. You see, every command of the scripture seems insurmountably high and unachievable. And yet, that does not grant us an out from seeking to live up to them. Don't tap out from the wrestling match and don't throw in the towel before even stepping into the ring. We must battle to love each other just as we would battle to live holy lives. We battle to love the same way we battle to live above reproach. We battle to love just as we battle to set our minds on things above. 
We battle to love just as we would battle to not let even a hint of impurity taint us. And though we pursue these virtues imperfectly, God nevertheless will accept our efforts because of Christ and if they're offered to him in his strength. If we seek to love, not in our own ability, not in our own strength, but in the strength that God supplies. Just as with all the commands of Scripture, the question that we should be asking ourselves is not, am I obeying this perfectly? Because the answer to that is an unquestionable no. No, you're not obeying this perfectly. But rather, the question that you should be asking yourself is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, am I striving to pursue and fulfill this command? By the grace of God, am I growing in my love for the saints, both in affection and action? Through the strength that God supplies, am I increasing in sacrificial, self-giving service to the members of this church, to my fellow Christians? As we conduct such heart assessments, inevitably, we will find that we come up short in many areas. That to one degree or another, we lived a self-centered, self-gratifying, self-absorbed life. In response to this, I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, that not only is the grace of God sufficient to cover all of your failings, but that the way to get up The way to dust yourself off and get back at it is not by simply trying to love harder. It's not simply by just trying to love more. It is by once again returning to the foot of the cross and gazing upon the bloody Savior there who loved you enough to die for you. It is here at the cross of Christ, at the cross of love, where you will gain the needed motivation to in turn go and love your fellow Christians. It's just like what we're singing, that we are to feast on the love of God and then be empowered to go and love our fellow brothers and sisters. The more deeply you understand and treasure Christ's love for you, the greater you will have, the greater capacity you will have to love each other royally. I'll say it again. The more deeply you understand and treasure Christ's love for you, the greater your capacity will be to love each other. This is what John communicates in 1 John chapter 4, verses 11 and 19. Verse 11, he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, understand how God has loved you, we ought to also love one another. And then he says in verse 19, we love Because he first loved us. You have to understand that. That's the way to go out and live this text. It's first by understanding the immense, immeasurable love that God has for you. If you've understood this principle and are looking for clear boots to the ground instructions on how to start loving your family in Christ, I encourage you, just as we did in the scripture reading, read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a love manual right there in the Bible. Love manual. What love looks like. In action. And if you want more instructions on how to love, go ahead and read all of 1 John. You can see I've been quoting heavily from that epistle. 
Because it complements everything that John records here, what Christ says here. Read 1 John, read 1 Corinthians 13 and see how love is to ooze from your life. And as you do and as you seek to obey those commands in the power of the Holy Spirit, watch how your life will begin to flourish in love. So far, Jesus has shown us the command to love each other. He's shown us the measure of what our love is to look like. And now he'll demonstrate for us briefly the outcome of loving each other. This leads us to our final truth about loving each other. Number three, love each other and show the world what it means to follow Jesus. Love each other and show the world what it means to follow Jesus. Look at verse 35 with me. The Lord Jesus says this there. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, Jesus referring to the love that you have for each other. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see what Jesus is saying there? He's saying that if we take his words seriously and love our fellow believers the way he has loved us, it will prove to the watching world that we are truly his followers. Straight from the mouth of Jesus, we're finding that love is one of the great apologetics, one of the great proofs of the Christian faith. Think for a moment about why love is the indicator of being a Jesus follower. Consider the Lord Jesus himself. The Son of Man spent his entire earthly ministry going about and doing good because he loved people. If you saw the Messiah on earth at that time, there would be no question about whether he loved people or not. His whole life was one big, I love you, to humanity culminating with his death on the cross on our behalf. Brothers and sisters, if we are to be true disciples of our Lord, true followers of our Master, if we're to walk in the footsteps of our Savior, then we must do as our teacher has taught us. We must act as he acted. We must love each other. In my interactions with Peter, I've heard very many encouraging things about this church, about you. And so the same way that Paul writes to the Thessalonians, I want to say to you, keep going. You are loving each other. Keep going. Let your love for one another abound more and more. Keep loving each other. Keep pursuing to love each other just as Christ has loved each of you. You see, it's by loving each other that we prove to this dying world that there is a rescuer, that there is one who revolutionizes self-centered people and turns them into selfless lovers. You cannot argue with a transformed life, and there is no greater transformation than to encounter the loving Savior and to become a disciple of love. Saints, what would it look like if when you brought people to service, unbelieving family members or neighbors 
You are not only expectant and excited for them to hear gospel preaching, but you are expectant and excited for them to witness the community of love. What would it look like if when you came here bringing people here, you were expecting to see how these people would react when they saw how you love each other so well? Friends, what would it look like if when people walked into your home and they saw you interacting with fellow believers, they would say out loud, whoa, you guys are different. You really do love each other. You really do take this Jesus stuff Seriously, this is what Jesus is getting at. And this is what we should be aiming for, what you should be aiming for, what we all should be aiming for. Church, if you want people to know you love Jesus, brother or sister, if you want people to know that you love Jesus, you don't need a t-shirt with a Christian slogan on it. You don't need a necklace with a crucifix. You don't even have to make a a post on your Instagram page. All you need to do is love each other well, and it will speak volumes. And people will know that our God is real. People will know that his people, God's people, are different, and you will have opportunities to speak of the Lord Jesus. The first Christians proved that they understood what Jesus' expectation of love was. In the book of Acts, the early church did not only go about telling people about Jesus and contending earnestly for the faith, but they devoted themselves to loving each other well, spending time together frequently, making sure that no one lacked anything physically or financially. The gospel that they preached and the love that they practiced shook the ancient world to its core. No one but Jesus could be the cause of such sacrificial, self-giving love. Brothers and sisters, I urge you, take every opportunity to do the same, to inconvenience yourselves for each other, to sacrifice yourselves for each other, to forget yourself to love each other. Take every opportunity to bend over backwards for each other, to give of yourself when it's easy and when it's hard. Let's be a people who act like we're actually siblings, brothers and sisters in the Lord, in Christ. Let's bear one another's burdens and let's love each other to the death. Yes, now as at any time in history, it feels like our world has every reason to disagree and to be disagreeable. Disputes and infighting are the norm out there, but not to be the norm in here. The chief characteristic of the Christian community is to be love, an otherworldly love that cannot be explained except for the existence and reality of Jesus Christ. If you are here this morning, a visitor, And you are not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to say welcome. We're so glad that you're with this church. These people do love Jesus. And it's my prayer that as you interact with them, even this morning, you would see and experience the supernatural love of God. That you would take the claims you've heard this morning about Jesus Christ seriously and consider where your soul will spend eternity. 
And that you would likewise consider that this same Jesus who died and rose again for our sake offers that gift of life to you as well. Brothers and sisters, let's pray now. God of love, we praise you and we worship you. We thank you that you loved an unworthy and undeserving people like us. God, truly your love is boundless, immeasurable, and we are amazed by you. Lord God, help us to understand your love more. Help us, as we were singing, to feast on the love of Jesus, on the love of God, and thereby being enabled to love each other like you have loved us. God, make our love genuine and real and attractive to the watching, dying world. All of this we pray and we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.